0: Welcome to Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren. You can follow, support the show at unsafeshow.com. You can follow us on Twitter at unsafeshow. You can go to patreon.com slash space. You can, let's see, fund the podcast by searching for Unsafe Space on your favorite podcast app. Lots of different ways to support the show. Thanks. Thank you for for joining. Uh, Now, normally... We have, uh, we have a show with Kerry Smith every, every Thursday at 11 a.m., and that show is called Deprogrammed, and we talk about social justice warriors. However, uh, this Thursday, we've got something a little bit different. Um, we have Keith Bissett from the Convention of States Project. He's also the host of the Liberty Solutions podcast. Keith, welcome. Oh, hello. All right, it's working. There you are. How you doing?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good today.
0: Thank you for thank Thanks you for, for joining. Me. So, Keith, maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about what the Convention of States project is. And I know it's, you know, they talk about Article 5, uh, being, using Article 5 to provo- propose a convention. I think maybe a lot of people don't know what that means. So maybe you can start by just telling us. What is the Convention of States Project? What's the idea behind it? And what's Article 5? And what's, what's the deal?
1: Okay. Well, the idea behind it is if the, the people through their states want to rein in the federal government from you know, some of the, uh, the authority that they've taken from the, the states and taken from the people, uh, the best way to do it is with a constitutional amendment. Um, and the Convention of States Project is proposing three topics, and 12 states are on board so far. Uh, one is uh, fiscal restraint. Don't let them borrow a trillion dollars a year from our grandchildren. Uh, the second one is to limit the scope and authority back to what it says in the Constitution. So basically, there, there's only a few designated tasks that the federal government's supposed to do, and it's it's been the Constitution's been abused. The, you know, the welfare clause and the uh, the interstate commerce clause have just been abused. to for the federal government justify anything they want to do. And the third thing is to impose some term limits beyond the president, like maybe, uh, on Supreme court justices, little Ruthie, maybe, is a good example of why you might need that. Although I, I heard she to got hurt
0: the other day about the Supreme court and, uh, and, uh, got it in for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which I can't blame you, but, uh, yeah, that yeah, was, she's, <laughs>
1: yeah, she should be. Yeah. Yeah. We won't go off on that. That's a, a thread Jack there, but, uh, she should be sitting on a rocker, you know, complaining about snow removal on her street or something. That that's that's where she should be at, knitting with the cat. Um, <laughs> anyway, so the convention of states project has twelve states on board so far, calling for a convention. Um, the the founders, when they wrote the Constitution, they anticipated that the government might get tyrannical or might get out of control. So when they When they wrote the Constitution, Article 5 has two ways to amend it. One is Congress can propose an amendment. So if two-thirds of of the Senate and the House agree, um, they can draft an amendment, and it's a proposed amendment. It goes out to the states, and the states ratify it. Or two-thirds of the states can call for a convention, and the states send delegates to a meeting, and then they propose an amendment, and it goes to the states again for ratification by three-quarters. So for it to take effect, that part's the same three quarters of the state legislatures have to ratify it but the idea is that if congress is where the problem is it's going to be difficult to get congress to uh, to propose an amendment that limits their own power right they pretty much don't want to do that and it's understandable once they get in there they sure they're not likely to do that so uh, and they thought about this in 1787, and so they set up this second way under Article 5 where the states can propose an amendment and change the Constitution. And, you know, people, people forget that, you know, they think about Congress writing the amendments, because all 27 of the ones we have so far were, done by, were proposed by Congress. But they still have to be ratified by the states, because the states, are the, the states created the federal government, not the other
0: way around. So that's something that I think I, w- I was going to underscore. I'm glad you brought it up. I think a lot of people think of the federal government. You know, the, the U.S. is not like other countries where um, there's kind of this. There was this one central government, and they decide these are the jurisdictions, and and they drew boundaries and stuff. These were independent countries essentially. They were independent states, and they decided. I mean, the, the U.S. government is really more. I hate to use this analogy, but it's really more like the EU in the sense that. It was independent governments and they decided, well, let's adopt kind of this coalition and we'll call it the United States and there'll be some kind of governing body over us. And uh, like the EU, the U.S. federal government has has gotten wildly out of control from what was originally anticipated. So let me ask you this. What's, I just want to play devil's advocate a little bit, Um, why is it better to have the state's? in charge than the federal government i mean the federal government does a lot of things that i think a lot of people would disagree with you know i live in california i'm I'm not sure it's actually better (laughs) well california
1: (laughs) well there's a couple differences one is if you don't like california you can move to texas in fact a lot of people do that um So gotcha. you know the idea of the states is that there's 50 different experiments going on and there's really very little impeding any of us from moving to a different one. You know, we use the same money, you can drive to the other one with nobody checking any papers, you can buy a house in the other place, move your business. If the federal right. government has all the power, then the only thing you do is go to another country. And actually it turns out there really isn't a better country. <laughs> Even right. well, with all the problems we have, this one still is the best one. There's, there's some right. other good ones there's some couple good ones but sure so so that's the difference between the states and you know as far as like who was first like i i uh i was teaching on constitution day to a bunch of high school kids and i did it by asking them a lot of questions and one of the questions i asked them which kind of threw them for a loop but said who was first the states or the federal government did they know uh, a couple of them did, yeah. This was a homeschool collaborative. It wasn't a government school.
0: <laughs> but yeah,
1: a, cu- a couple of them did know, yeah. And, and okay. but they, it started a whole debate amongst them, which was interesting to listen to. Interesting. It was, you know, it was a seventh through twelfth graders debating about who came first. So, but you know, the answer is the states were around long before the federal government, and the Constitution is a contract between the states. Federal government is not a party. So, you know, as far as the legal contract goes, the federal government is not involved in the, in the constitution. It has no, it has no position to, to change it. It can't change it. That's why right. the states have to ratify amendments because the states are the ones who created the federal government. So every, every authority that the federal government has was delegated to them from the states. So the states by necessity had all the authority in the 1700s and they so picked a few I'll things. Think.
0: Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Uh, they picked a few things that they wanted the federal government to do, like establish common money, uh, negotiate with foreign countries, deal with wars. It's better to have, you know, all 50 together or all 13 then. But, right. uh, and, and that's mostly it. There's only a few other small things, roads and post
0: offices. Sure. So, so let me, uh, let me kind of ask this. You, you, um, you know, what, what, well, we'll play devil's advocate for a bit. you, You're arguing that there should be a convention of states. I think a lot of kind of libertarian and small government people would be worried about the states getting together, proposing anything. And you mentioned this earlier, and I just want to make it clear. The convention of states project that you're involved in, which I think is conventionofstates.com, people can go to. um, It's very limited what they're proposing. It's a convention for a specific purpose, right? And what were those three things again? I just remind everyone. Uh, uh,
1: The three things are fiscal responsibility, limit the power and jurisdiction of federal government and term limits for offices like Supreme Court, maybe Congress. But the 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 call is for a topic. So the way Article five was written, uh two thirds of the states have to call for a convention for a specific topic. And then when the meeting happens, they can only propose amendments related to that topic. Okay. And you know, some of the states have, have passed rules. There's twelve states have already called for those three. And there's several other groups that are proposing an Article 5 convention. There's a balanced budget group, which has quite a few states. They're doing pretty well. They actually got uh, pretty close to the two-thirds at one point. But they're, they're going strong. And there's a few others. There's one on Citizens United. And I, I don't know how many there are. There's half a dozen at least. Um, okay. But the one I'm in is called Convention of States, www.conventionofstates.com. Somebody wants to look it up for it. So
0: interestingly enough, though, you're, you're part of this Convention of States Projects, but you also, um, I, you know, you've said you don't like the term states' rights. Can you describe why you don't like that term? Because I think a lot of people uh, use the term, especially small government people, they use the term states' rights.
1: Um, I, yeah, I hear a lot of libertarians I actually hear some anarchists talk about it, you know, they, they try to push for the idea. And it's not that I'm against states having authority. But I've been using the term "states' authority" because the problem is that states don't have rights; only people have rights. How can a state have a right? Right. So.
0: This, go ahead.
1: In in the uh, Declaration of Independence, they talk about that the government derives its just power from the people. In right. other words, the people delegate authority to the government because they want a central government to do a few things. So they give them the authority, but the rights are with people. So when somebody says states' rights, I I usually understand what they mean, and I don't say anything. But every once in a while, I'll point it out and say, "Well, no, states don't have any rights. If you think a state has a right, then you get to the point where your rights come from the state, which is wrong."
0: Like the yeah, yep. And philosophically, this is a this is actually an important issue because it can universalize. If states have rights, then groups have rights, and. um, and really it, it's kind of backwards, right? Because the concept of rights really comes from, from natural law and it's a philosophic concept. And you can agree or disagree with, with the derivation of that, but they, they're, they're built into kind of philosophic conclusions about the rights, it's the rights of individuals. And, you know, groups only are empowered through, uh, they get their power through the power of the individual. So if individuals have rights to do things, well, then they can kind of delegate that right unanimously as a group to, to maybe some mechanism of control, but it's not, um, the group doesn't have anything that doesn't come from the individuals. There's, there's actually no such thing as a group of people as a physical entity. It's, it's a collection of individuals and, and group is a, an abstract concept.
1: So, so if you talk about a group having a right, then you're saying that the individuals within that group don't have the right until they're in the group. Like that doesn't make sense.
0: Right, right, which I think is why it's kind of backwards, and obviously the state is a group. So we're really talking about – it sounds like you're really just underscoring that rights, rights are inherently individual properties.
1: So that's why I don't like the term states' rights. So, But it, I mean I almost always agree with people when they say, well, no, because of states' rights, da-da-da-da-da. I, I right. pretty much always agree. So I say, well, it's not that I don't agree with you. It's that I don't like that term and I'm kind of a stickler for terms, you know, that, like that word is wrong. And it's sure. it's misleading. It, it's uh, misrepresenting it. And then you start getting the argument. Well, like, do you have the right to bear arms because of the Second Amendment? Like, no, that just recognizes the right. Right. If you start talking right. about states rights, then you start talking about federal government rights. Like, right. does the federal government have rights? Like, no, it doesn't have any rights.
0: Right. Right. So this is, I mean, I, I, I talked about this the other day, but it's, it's worth kind of bringing up again and, and having a, a short discussion with you about it. This is kind of, if you look at the founding of, of the United States, the founding fathers um, really understood and knew that the, the rights that they were articulating were, were what they would consider natural rights. They, they existed prior to the establishment of a government, and, and the government was really just recognizing that they existed, and they felt that previous governments had not recognized that these rights existed and that was the reason that these governments were immoral and illegitimate and this was their attempt to make a a, a government that was more legitimate by at least recognizing these pre-existing rights that humans had and there was an argument between the federalists and the anti-federalists about whether to even include the bill of rights at all um but it wasn't because it wasn't because the anti you know so the federalists on the one side were people like thomas jefferson right who who wanted the bill of rights to to be included and the Anti-Federalists were people like Alexander Hamilton, who didn't think the Bill of Rights should be included. But, but I think when we hear about that today, we, it sounds misleading. It sounds maybe like the Anti-Federalists didn't want those rights to exist or didn't believe they existed. And, and actually, the opposite is true. The Anti-Federalists didn't want the Bill of Rights included because they felt if if the Bill of Rights was included, it would imply that rights came from the, the government and that those were the only rights. And... And they said basically, well, by articulating some rights, we're implying that the others don't exist, and that's not true. All the rights exist, so we shouldn't articulate any. We should just say uh, the government can only do X, Y, and Z, and everything else is, is, is protected. Obviously, Hamilton lost that argument, and we have the Bill of Rights, but it's interesting that the thing that he was worried about, I don't know which way it would have been better, but the thing that he was worried about has actually happened, which is people point to the Bill of Rights and say, well, these are where our rights come from, and these are the rights we have. Rather than we have a lot of rights, these are just the ones that are officially kind of recognized in, in, the, in the Bill of Rights.
1: They, they thought it was risky to list some rights because you know, they knew there were rights that they wouldn't be able to list. Like they knew there were rights they wouldn't think of. So a lot of people didn't like the idea of a Bill of Rights. But they ended up having to do it because there were states who refused to ratify the Constitution unless they did that. So Right. They had to promise to have a bill of rights and recognize certain things, you know, freedom of speech and the right to bear arms. And they included, you know, they included the, uh, I have it in front of me. It's um, the ninth amendment, right? It says the enumeration in the constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Right. Like that's kind of their end is saying, yeah, we listed some, but there are others right um, and and the point the point to keep clear and and you know people talk about uh you know rights that come from the bill the bill of rights and you have to keep in mind that the bill of rights recognizes rights the yeah, the founders a subset of rights it recognizes some rights but they don't come from it you know if you took away the first amendment we would still have you still have the right to freedom of speech the way the way I look at it, like, you know, the, the citizens of North Korea have the right to bear arms. The government infringes on it. They sure they sure do. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. They <laughs> they infringe on them pretty strongly, but that doesn't mean that people don't have the right. The right exists in all in all humans. Right. It's part of
0: being a human. And that's an important distinction, I think.
1: And I object sometimes. I I you know, after the Parkland school shooting, I started following the NRA more closely. And uh, yeah, I got yelled at by a few people in their ILA group, but I started pointing out that well, no, there's no such thing as Second Amendment rights. Like I disagree with that term. Like sure. I know what you mean, but don't say it that way. Because I when think, you yeah, say I it that think way,
0: I a more philosophically grounded uh, gun rights organization than the NRA. Um, the Jews which, for the which preservation.
1: Which organization?
0: Of uh, Jews for the preservation of firearms ownership. Um, they're uh, they're smaller, but I think they have a much more principled stance on on rights on gun rights
1: and the, the gun owners of america i've also read up on them yeah. some they seem a little a little clearer about where rights come from
0: yeah yeah uh, the nra like any larger kind of organization they're kind of a, a philosophically diluted version of something like the gun, gun owners of association or or gun, what is it gun owners of america
1: yeah, GOA, Gun Owners yeah. of America's. I didn't know too much about them, being growing up and living my whole life in New Jersey. Um, sure. But sure. but the after Parkland, uh, they were they were vilified horribly, and I ended up joining them, even though I disagree with some of their main put points. Overall, I found it was a pretty good group of people who were, you know, support the idea of self protection and the right to life. So I ended up sending them some money, so, yeah. but, I, but I did object member.
0: to them. I'm a lifetime oh. member of the use for preservation and firearms ownership. Uh, but I did join the NRA because I had to teach uh, NRA pistol classes and I had to be a member to be an NRA instructor. So um, let's, let's, um, since we're talking about amendments, uh, there's been an amendment that's been in the news a lot lately, which is the birthright citizenship clause of the 14th amendment. It's in section one. It's the first sentence of section one. I'm going to read it here because I have it here. Uh, which reads all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. So that's the 14th amendment. It was just for, for context uh, it was ratified in 1868. It was originally passed uh, to protect the citizenship of freed slaves and there was a there was a Supreme Court case in 1857 where the Supreme Court it, it was called uh, Scott versus Sanford. The Supreme Court ruled that actually uh, children of slaves uh, and Af- African Americans basically were, were were not U.S. citizens even though they were free. And so the 14th Amendment was modified basically to overturn or to um, to reject this this opinion by the Court of Scott versus Sanford or Sanford and say no that's not true they are citizens. In fact, uh, anyone within, uh, anyone, quote, subject to the jurisdiction of the United States is, and, and born in the U.S., is a citizen, and so thereby kind of encompassing all of those, uh, those freed slaves. And President Trump recently made some comment about maybe not granting, and that this is this concept of birthright citizenship, and, and President Trump made an, an a comment recently about well, maybe we should uh, not grant birthright citizenship to people who are in the country illegally. And I can talk about more about that. But, Keith, what are your thoughts on birthright citizenship? And, you know, of course, the media said the president can't do that. He's trying to, uh, you know, amend the Constitution and repeal or an amendment, and he can't do that unilaterally. Obviously, he can't do that. But is that what he's trying to do? And, and what, is your, what are your thoughts on that issue?
1: The, well, first off, they weren't, they weren't clear what they meant by within the jurisdiction. Um there were most of them appeared to be from read been able to absorb the last couple of days or weeks since this becoming the news that they were thinking about allegiance. So they wanted the parents of a child born here or born somewhere else to have a hundred percent allegiance to the United States. And that's really what they meant. The wording itself is not clear to, to me. Um, Uh, You know, I haven't finished thinking about this, but my conclusion so far is that you actually would need a constitutional amendment to do what Trump wants, because the amendment is not written clearly, and they didn't address the case of people here illegally. The the only thing that's close to it is that they made children of people who they were aware were here illegally, which is any slave imported after 1808, when importing slaves became illegal. Uh, they were illegal aliens. I mean, they didn't come here on their own volition, but right. they were illegal aliens. That's the closest analogy you have, you know, in 1868 when that am- amendment was passed to, to say, well, what would they think of illegal and, and aliens today? Their
0: children. Were they granted citizenship? They were
1: granted citizenship. So that was clear that when they wrote the 14th Amendment, they included children of those illegal aliens in that. The, the only exemptions they had at the time w- were uh, diplomats, which are still exempt. So, you know, a diplomat living in Washington, D.C. that has a child born in D.C., those kids are not citizens. They don't give yeah, them birthright uh, citizenship.
0: That's the first thing that actually came to mind for me, because I, I had someone who worked for me a long time ago who was born in New York City, and but her father was a diplomat in Kenya. And so she was not a U.S. citizen. And as soon as people were kind of saying, well, you can't, there's no exceptions to this. If you're born in the U.S., uh, automatically you're a U.S. citizen. There's already... Uh, it's already been interpreted that there are some exceptions. And I think that goes back to uh, what I'm reading now, the 1872 slaughterhouse cases uh, saying that, hey, that, you know, Justice Samuel Miller, uh, his opinion was that the main purpose of the 14th Amendment was to establish the citizenship of, of basically freed slaves. And he says that the phrase subject to its jurisdiction was intended to exclude from its operation children of ministers, consuls, and citizens or subjects of foreign states born within the United States. So you, you kind of you had that, and, and that, those were the slaughterhouse cases. And then in 1884, uh, the Supreme Court held that children born to Native American tribes were not automatically granted citizenship under the 14th Amendment. Um, and they, the argument there was subject to the jurisdiction. This is a quote from uh, Justice Horace Gray, uh, who wrote The Majority Opinion. He said, Subject to the jurisdiction is not merely subject to some respect or degree of the jurisdiction to the United States, but completely subject to their political jurisdiction and owing them direct and immediate allegiance, right? So, so that, those kind of things happen. Um, and then you had in 1898, uh, a case of legal immigrants from China claiming that their child should be a citizen. And and the Supreme Court upheld that and said, yes, they are citizens of the United States. And then uh, kind of the last relevant case that I found was in 1982 uh, in um, Tyler v. Doe, Justice Brennan, in a little footnote, said um, something that I think is kind of, no matter where you stand on this, I think the statement is moronic. He says, There's no plausible distinction with respect to the 14th Amendment jurisdiction can be drawn between resident aliens whose entry into the United States was lawful and resident aliens whose entry was unlawful. Uh, I I guess maybe it's not moronic because he's saying with respect to the 14th Amendment. Clearly, there's a there's there's a distinction between those two categories of people. But he's saying there is no distinction with respect to the 14th Amendment. Um, But we have kind of a distinction because we do diplomats. Kids aren't they're not citizens. So to me, this seems like a gray area, whether whether Trump can say, well, you know, jurisdiction, I interpret jurisdiction to mean you can't be a citizen of another country. Maybe you'd have to renounce that citizenship and, you know, be here legally and apply for, for legal status. And then your child is, is a citizen. But I don't understand. I mean, may, maybe you're you're in disagreement with me on this, but I don't understand why we can just dismiss out of hand the idea that, uh, the fourteenth Amendment is clear on this because I do think the language is vague.
1: It 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 is vague. And uh I read a great article by uh Professor Robert Nadelson. If uh he's a constitutional uh professor, um does the, But he concluded that the the people who wrote that were basically not competent enough to to write it. They did not define what they meant by within the jurisdiction thereof, and they should have. So right. the only thing you can do is you look at their debates and, you know, what other people said at the time, and they can look at Supreme court cases, but then you got the problem of the Supreme court interpreting it. And the president is certainly within the president's authority to determine if something's vague, whether it's constitutional or not, but he can decide whether or not to execute a a law. If he says it's unconstitutional, he could do that, right. but he can't, I mean, I don't think, Trump gets this far and thinking through this. I don't, think um, no, I, I, <laughs> I don't think he's thinking, is this constitutional? Sure is this
0: this un- beyond his level of depth on this issue, but that's not, that's, that's, that's fine.
1: But the people are arguing uh, that it's unconstitutional for him to issue an ex- executive order and change the constitution. That's true. He's not allowed to do that. But if the constitution isn't clear and it isn't here, then now he's interpreting it in that Indians and Eskimos were citizens by birth. Right. And before that, they were an exemption, you know, back from what they said in 1868 uh, or whenever it was. Right. Um, but, you know, the idea of people coming across the border, having a baby and go back, they didn't think about that. You know, you can't expect the people in 1868 to realize that, you know, 10,000 people a year are going to fly from China to LA and have a baby and go back a week later. And then their kids are going to come here and get free college when they're 18. Like they didn't think of that pregnant women in 1868, didn't get on a sailing ship and sail from Europe to United States to have their baby and then sail back. So the kid could come here at 18 for free college.
0: Right. And, (laughs) and, and if, you know, prior to the welfare state, the, the value of U.S. citizenship, uh, I think, was greatly reduced for a lot of people. Right? If you, you know, if you look at immigration in the early 20th century, uh, it's true that a lot of immigrants came and helped build the country. But I think something like a third of them uh, went back because they couldn't. They couldn't make it. They couldn't hack it here. They didn't like it as much. Um, there was no safety net, and so they left. They they came. They tried. They tried it out. They said this sucks, and they left. Um,
1: they went back to a more socialist place. Like they. They could make it under a capitalism environment
0: right so, and I think but, that's changed now though, right because we have this huge safety net, and so if you're super poor in in a in a a third world country, well, our safety net is actually a, a quite a valuable asset it's worth It's worth really working hard to to get here and and obtain that citizenship, even if it's just for your kids and future generations
1: so you know I don't see. You know, what people are arguing about trying to stop immigration as being, it's a band aid on the problem. So, the problem is what you can get when you come here. We're enticing them to come here. And the people are actually making a rational decision to try to get here. Sure. You can't blame
0: people that are wanting to get here. That makes total sense,
1: right? No, I don't blame them at all. I might try to do it myself. And if it was easy to get in here, I I don't know what I would do if I was from Honduras. I'm not sure. sure. I might try to come here. It's it's bad for Honduras. If I thought I couldn't fix Honduras, I might be try to come here. Absolutely but, but you know, building a wall or putting more people on the border or th- that's just a band-aid. The problem is the you gotta end the welfare state and the drug war. That's how you solve this problem. Well not, so there, not a wall.
0: So I, I agree with you, but I think um I think there's another issue that I, it isn't isn't talked about as much and, and may lead into actually our next topic a little bit um, because I I do want to talk about the caravan, uh, coming, coming up from Honduras, uh, through Mexico. But, you know, I, to me, I see, I see two major problems. One is we've got this, this welfare state. And by the way, when we say welfare state, just to be clear, I, I, and I believe Keith as well, although I I won't speak for you, I'm opposed to all the corporate welfare as well. I'm not saying we should be funding large corporations and giving them a bunch of, uh, Uh, financial benefits but uh, take it away from poor people i'm against all of that welfare and when you build this welfare state um you do end up attracting people and you know there i think um stefan molyneux said the other day there was like a hundred there's there's been surveys something like 150 million people around the world say they would move to the u.s if they could They they would want to right um that's half the population of the united states that's a huge that's a huge deal and i would guess most of those people you know, just existing on welfare here or, or any kind of public service, you know, going to the emergency room for free, public schools, like all that stuff is, it's just, it's worth it because their life is so bad where they are now. So I think that's part of the problem. Absolutely. And I think it, it's, the U.S. has kind of set up a honeypot, but there's a more taboo problem that I want to talk about as well. And I think, Keith, I think you'll enjoy talking about taboo <laughs> problems. <laughs> uh, go, go for it. I'm gonna. Say, I'm saying this as an anarcho-capitalist, right? And 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 think of me as a libertarian extreme right now. I so I'm, I'm I'm pushing for smaller government until we have smaller government. At which point, I'll push for none. But uh, from that perspective, we're in this society where the people around me get to vote to control me. They can vote to impact, pass regulations that may affect me. They get to increase taxes that will obviously affect me and take take money that I've <clears throat> I've earned away from me. They get to vote to expand the government. And if you're in a system where people get to vote to expand the government and there aren't and it's not actually being checked, like the Constitution was designed to constrain that. But the Constitution's being ignored. So because we're in an environment where the Constitution is being ignored and we b- basically have uh, a majority rules with some mechanisms to slow it down slightly because we're in that situation it matters to me how the people coming into this country are voting because if i have any chance of having a smaller government i don't want more people coming in the country that are going to vote for larger government and so then i suddenly start to look at the demographics of people that are coming in and wondering well gee how are they voting right and i gotta be honest if uh if a lot of, if this caravan from Honduras was all coming wearing "Don't Tread on Me" flags and, and waving "Don't Tread on Me" flags and saying, you know, we're going to come vote for smaller government in the U.S., I'd be a lot more open to letting letting them in, right? Uh, because and which I understand that's why the that's why the Democrats are very open to to letting them in because that's not the case. They they I overwhelmingly vote for larger, more socialist government, and that's just a fact. And I, I looked at the the, the midterm election results and the demographic composition and the, the Latino vote votes 69% uh, Democrat. And you know, even the Republicans aren't very limited government. Democrats are definitely not limited government. So there's, you know, I, I think if you, if you want a limited government and that's your goal in the future, you got to really ask yourself, like you're in this room where People are stealing your stuff by gun at gunpoint, right? The government, there's this there's this menace in the room. There's people supporting that menace. Do you want more people supporting that menace coming in? Or do you want allies who are gonna come in and help you fight that menace? And so it becomes a very practical issue at some point. That's my rant. I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that because you and I haven't discussed it.
1: All right. Can I do I do I do I have to give you my thoughts or can I rant also?
0: You can rant all you want. I'll kind of- <laughs>
1: um the uh, I, I basically agree with you. I think, you know, first off, one hundred and fifty million sounds low. It's hard to believe out of seven billion, there's only one hundred and fifty million that would like to come here. There's some pretty it's, screwed
0: up countries. They probably only asked one hundred and fifty point one million. Yeah. I so you know. figure,
1: you know, there's a billion people in China. So is, is there only 50 million of that billion want to come to the U.S.? That doesn't sound right to me um and so yeah we got 300 325 million something like that like we can't support everybody who's you know wants to come and say you know you get people from Honduras come in and say well my husband beats me I want asylum well no there's seven billion people in the world even if you feel bad I feel bad but we can't pay for all that you can't absorb them um you brought up Stefan Molyneux. one of my favorite quotes of his about immigration he says uh let me make sure I get it right how high a wall do you have to build around your yard if you scattered diamonds all over your front grass? Right. <laughs> so like, Pretty well, hard. you could build a, you could build a 30 foot wall, but I think all that would happen is it'd be a huge boon in the 31 foot ladder market in Mexico. Yeah. Like, like the problem is you got to stop paying for people. You got to, you know, so if people come in, and you don't give them you know you, you don't have the war on poverty and the welfare state and the, the war on drugs encouraging you know transmission across the uh, borders of illegals and uh and and you know the welfare state basically you're enticing people to come so as long as you do that people are going to want to come rationally and 100 right. probably more than 150 it's probably more like a billion if I'm going to take a yeah. wild guess so i i agree now how do you interview people when they come across and say you know well you can come here uh, you got to learn english and you got to embrace our our basically our socioeconomic values which is self-governance and entrepreneurship and and take care of yourself personal responsibility you don't come here looking for a handout now, i don't know how to test people for that but it used to be the-
0: but it's, it's a big problem right and and i think worse than just it being a honeypot, like more than just throwing diamonds on your lawn, right? Not only does it increase the number of people that, that want to come in, but it actually also self, it, it starts to skew the self-selection of people that want to come in because you're starting to get more and more people who want handouts are coming in because you're giving away handouts. So you get this self-selecting group and you, you have fewer and fewer of the kind of intrepid entrepreneurs, still some, right? Um, but you fewer and fewer start to come in because, as a percentage, because you're, you're increasing the number of people who are just looking for handouts because that's their incentive. And if you don't have those handouts, at least the people that are coming in are, are coming from mindset of I got to make it on my own and some sort of rugged individualism. But, uh, but I still then still think we have the problem of if that's their mindset, but they're still going to vote for socialism, it's still a problem.
1: If they destroyed their country by voting for socialism, like you get people from Venezuela who used to be a wealthy country, economically viable, biggest oil producer in the world. Then the citizens vote for socialism and the people say, uh-oh, we screwed this place up. So then they come to the United States and when they get here, they vote for socialism. Like, right. I don't get it. But yeah. that is what happens. Statistically, cool. that is what happens.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so how, I do think-
1: you, how, do you, how do you predict that? How do you figure out? what people are going to do when they come here without eliminating the welfare state, eliminating the enticement that self selects. And I, and I'm biased because of my, you know, I spent my career in an engineering environment and I knew a lot of immigrants, but they were H one B people that had like a master's in electrical engineering from a college in India. And they came here and they worked their ass off. Like they weren't the ones that are a problem.
0: My wife is an immigrant, right? But she came here and worked her ass off and she's here legally. So It's it's like we want them. Yeah, right. The the
1: percentage of I don't know the number, but the percentage of startups that are that are initiated that are founded by immigrants is very high. It's much higher than the percentage of immigrants in the population. Yeah, Yeah. so there is there is still there is still a self selection for that going on in some environments, but it doesn't seem to be the case along the you know Arizona New Mexico
0: border. Right. Right. So, what do you do? Because the charge against arguing, you know, so if you're going to argue about uh, the border with Mexico, the charge is that uh, you're racist because you're only caring uh, that brown people are coming across the border, uh, but you're not caring about Canadians are coming across the border, which isn't actually a problem. But you know, it's it's a hard discussion to have because it's not about skin color or race or ethnicity. It's about Two things, you know, if there's a massive welfare state, drain of resources and and the, kind of the, the demographic, the voting, the voting block that's coming in. And I understand why Democrats would support it, because, you know, it's it's a path to power.
1: The, the You know, the racism charge is it, it's not a coincidence may not be the right word, but if you say that you don't want unskilled, uneducated people who want freebies and want socialism to come in. That's not a racist position to take. I don't care what the yeah. racist is. I, I don't want Europeans with that attitude either. Right. It doesn't have anything to do with skin color. Right. Um, but, and but it's, the it's fact pretty. that, yeah, the, the fact that a lot of them happen to be Latino or, or, you know, or African American heritage, that's just, that's because of where the people come from. That's because they're screwed up countries. I don't think it's right. really the people themselves. No. But and, no. and racist when they talk about racism, when they talk about minorities, they really mean like people with African heritage and, and uh Latino heritage, right? Like like China doesn't really count in that. No. <laughs> or or Japan. Uh, like there's a lot of Japanese immigrants. I mean, right. they're a minority, right? But when people say they're worried about, you know, the way the minorities come in and take over and but they're not talking about, you know askanashi jews or or japanese or south koreans or like those like everybody thinks but they're minorities too but when you know when they use the word minority they don't mean that right it doesn't actually have anything to do with minority it's a code word for like certain groups
0: well and that's i mean you're bringing up another good point right the the asian population and i see it in california a lot because uh my wife is chinese and uh you know, the Asian population is either ignored or they're starting actually to be vilified uh, just as much as the white population. And there was a sign, there was a protester at one of the Berkeley kind of rallies against free speech. I don't know what else to call it. Um, you know, they're holding up signs that said Asian silence is violence, which is like, they're they're, <laughs> they're, they're, upset at Asians because Asians are coming in here and, and demographically they're, they're, you know, statistically on average, they're doing pretty well. And, um, and this is very upsetting, so we, we either have to... And, and it goes against the, the, the narrative that the, the country is controlled by a white racist patriarchy because, um, you're, you know, Asians actually outperform whites and have higher incomes and are more successful. And so, it, you know, if, if whites are running a, a racist uh, infrastructure, we're doing a pretty bad job of it because uh, we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're letting Asians get ahead of us. So... Um, I think if you're on the left and you, you you're you're married to this argument of white racism, you just have to either ignore the Asians or what I'm starting to see is people just kind of lumping Asians in with whites and saying, well, Asians and whites are racist, horrible people. And, you know, they're now you now you're both in that category. Yeah,
1: they lump. So you have to lump East Asians and and Indians and uh, and, and a whole bunch of other groups, Jews. Right. Right. Like like all these other minorities that are successful. You know, when you look at the data from, you know, in the world war, after World War Two, a lot of Jews immigrated and the average person, the average Jewish person immigrated within three years. They were at the average income of of the United States in three years. Like what's yep. something's different there.
0: Right. And don't like, tell me there wasn't a lot of anti-Semitism back there. Then I <laughs> was a lot more <laughs> than now. A lot more. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, and that's I, not it. Sorry. Go ahead. And, and they
1: hated the Chinese, too. In one of the yeah. speeches that I read a, about the uh, going back to the birthright thing, um, there were a lot of people in the Senate who were wanted to make it more specific because they were f- afraid they would give Chinese citizenship. And everybody's like, no, no, we're not talking about giving Chinese citizenship. We don't want them.
0: Right. Right, <laughs> But now yeah, it's fact, like,
1: well, actually, they're okay. Like They probably own a quarter of the companies in Silicon Valley. <laughs>
0: easily. Yeah, and, 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 and I think, in fact, you're reminding me when I grew up, I grew up in, in New York, and uh, I had, um, you know, it was mostly a white area, but there were some uh, African Americans there. And thinking back, if I, if I think back to the, the most kind of racist things I would hear people say, and there wasn't a lot of racism, but I mean, sometimes people would say things. I, it just dawned on me now that the the groups that were picked on the most were Asians, and probably because it was, was post Vietnam, and basically anyone who looked Asian was uh, there. Was racial slurs were the norm? Those were the those were the people hated the most. People didn't people didn't uh, say anything about blacks, but they or or Latinos, but they certainly did disparage Asians. Asians probably because of of the uh, of Vietnam and possibly uh, possibly Korea. So. I I think it's weird to, you you know, you rewind a few decades and clearly there was, there was anti-Asian racism, I would say to a much larger extent than anti, um, you know, Latino racism. But, uh, but here we are now, the Asians are the problem, apparently, according to a lot of uh, the people on the left. Or,
1: or they have to lump them in. They say, well, we're not talking about Asians. We're not talking about East Asians or West Asians. We're talking about Latinos and African-Americans right because you know why why is it that you have to get was it 150 points higher on the LSAT to get into Harvard Law School if you have if you're Asian I meaning right. a U.S. citizen <laughs> you know so like you know people that are white you know so-called white European heritage uh, mm-hmm. you know you can get 150 points lower so is that racist I, I think it's racist yeah no, racist to me you yeah, don't
0: want put- to put Asians
1: yeah, you can get into Harvard by putting on the form that you're you're American Indian. So, well, now you get a your score can be lower, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's so, the
1: definition of racism. Those people are racist.
0: I think so. Yeah, I think so. So let's let's talk about this caravan. What do you what do you think's going on with this caravan? Have you been following this and and uh, you know?
1: Um. Yes. You- um. I I'm amused by it. I'm entertained by the. uh You know, the the pictures, I've seen a few things on the web. I mean, every once in a while I turn the TV on, but not very often. But you see a picture of this, like, you know, a 100 or a 1,000, I don't know, young men. And then in front of them is one woman carrying a baby in flip-flops. And she's hiking the equivalent of New York City to Dallas, Texas, you know, with no backpack. She doesn't even have a water bottle. So to me, like, if I was going to hike in the sun, you know, in it's hot there too still, right? It's hot in Honduras. In yeah. Mexico, even now. So, to me, if I was going to hike from like New York City to Dallas, I would bring a water bottle.
0: Like, when you bring a water bottle? I would probably a have a, a I mean, I don't know if I would hike. Like, that's a. I mean, just think about crossing the U.S. Uh, with with uh, I would say probably better infrastructure. Like, you don't you know,
1: it's a long way. I stood stagecoach. You did it in a car, right? I remember you. I, I did in a do car. it in a car. I've done it on a motorcycle. It's a long way. I wouldn't want to walk that. And you know, no. I know a couple people who have done the Appalachian Trail. I know somebody who did the whole thing a couple years ago.
0: It takes like five months. Back on, oh. and they got all their supplies, and they've got it's.
1: And she was hiking for like years, like doing <laughs> long hikes and practicing and working out and you know figuring out where she where you're going to get food and buying equipment and testing it and trying different kinds of boots to see which ones you like. And then it takes five months, and she's and she's in awesome shape. Yeah, And she wasn't carrying a baby. So
0: do it's you not believe way. that this is real? I mean, is that is that what you're saying? Like, hey, this you don't even believe that she's It can't be. It's impossible. I saw yeah. on one news report they were
1: saying they had the picture, and they're saying, oh, the, the caravan did 65 miles yesterday. Like, 65 miles? Like, are they – you can't even – He said, well, they hiked 20 hours. Like, no. And then you see a picture of them. Those people don't look like they could walk to the store. (laughs) Like, like there's like, they had to be transported. So, so I don't know. I'm not there. So I, you know, I'm guessing, but I assume they're, they've got some vehicles involved. Like, did they put them all in a truck or a bus and they take them to a place and then they unload them and then they set up the cameras and then they walk by. There's gotta be some of that. I'm just skeptical. It's so far. It's take a long time to walk from New York to Houston. I keep throwing that out, but that's a long way. Yeah. When you talk about, I I did, you know, the first day I heard about it, the first thing I did is I pulled up Google Maps and I asked it for, give me directions from uh, Guatemala City to San Diego. And I looked at that (laughs) and I'm like, no way. That would take like six months maybe if you were in like excellent shape. Nine months. I think I estimated nine months for somebody that like, is physically capable of hiking the Appalachian Trail and did it last year. Right. It would take them nine months to do that. And then you look at the picture, like these people don't even have a backpack.
0: Right. And a lot of resources, right? Because how do you eat? And like, I don't understand. I would, if I was going to do that without a backpack, I would need, you know, I think I did, a, I ran a quick estimate and I was like, well, I, you know, it'd probably cost ten, twenty thousand dollars 20000 just like I, for you and your kid and whatever, like and maybe cheaper in in Mexico, but it's several thousand dollars just to buy supplies on the way.
1: And, and the rate they're moving, um, you know, according to the news, I don't know if it's true, but th- you're talking like Tour de France level physical effort. That's those people like consume 25,000 calories a day, like, right. like
0: to That's try just to
1: maintain their body weight. <laughs> yeah. So y- I didn't you can't like,
0: exertion, calories, yeah.
1: the exertion and then get up and do it again the next day. Like somebody yeah. that can hike 10 miles with a backpack and then get up the next day and do it again and do that for five months straight. That's, that's pretty good. I, I don't think I've ever been. I mean, I used to go for 50 mile bike rides, but I don't think I could do that.
0: Well, maybe we should let them all in and put them in the special forces because these are good skills to have.
1: I had a, a friend that proposed, it's, I, I don't know how facetious it's being, but his idea was as soon as they get to the border, Put them all on a bus, take them to the nearest military base, train all the men in uh, invasion tactics, and then airdrop them back into Honduras and have them take the country over. That's a good oh, idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> I say I might yeah. send i I'll send ten bucks in for that. That sounds like yeah. a good plan. Yeah, that's a great idea. Go. Yeah, well,
0: help set up a government if you want. Yeah,
1: um, it was a good idea. And he he ran for U.S. Congress in the last election. He lost in the primary, so. But I, I supported him. I thought it was a great idea. Dave that Cummins is his name. Idea.
0: <laughs> is idea. It was a great so, idea. I mean, the, the thing that – a couple things that are bothering me about the caravan coverage, and one of them is this argument – and I keep hearing this. I heard it even today. I've had to – I used to not watch the news, but now I've been flipping between CNN and Fox lately because I've started doing this show, and I kind of want to see what's what going a- on. What a horrible media.
1: thing to
0: have to do! I know it's horrible, uh, <laughs> but um, it it is really painful. But but everyone's kind of like a lot of the commentary is like, "Well, why are you? Why like why is it a big deal? They're hundreds of miles away. It's not a crisis." And like that's just such a weird like, "Hey, you're gonna die of lung cancer if you keep smoking." Yeah, but that's like decades away. Why am I worrying about it now? It's like, what? What do you mean? Why are you worrying about it now?
1: Like because now. A- yeah, that like that's a don't ludic- to- that's a ludicrous argument. You're saying like if uh in World War II if you detected the Japanese leaving Japan in a convoy heading for Pearl Harbor, you say, Well, they're like five thousand miles away. Let's worry about yeah. it next week. Yeah. Yeah, why are you why are you worry about it? It's like I don't let's, know. Let's let's go let's go have some beers, man. Yeah, you know, who could You know, we'll deal with that some other time.
0: Yeah, no, and that's even that's if, silly. All right, letting them in, or even if you're on like a radical left side, it's like that's still a horrible argument.
1: Right, it's not even an argument. It's just it's ludicrous. It's saying don't worry about a problem even though you know it's happening just because yeah. it's not going to come to not fruitation okay. for a couple more weeks. Well, <laughs> right, I mean, it's probably five months, not a couple weeks. They say they said originally they're going to be here by the midterms.
0: I mean, well, it's yeah, like what? Tw- twenty five hundred miles being driven. I don't know. Right? Who knows?
1: I don't know how much they're being driven, but they're they're. I think a lot of them are in Mexico City. Right? They're being treated royally. And, the and Mexico – and they can't apply for asylum, I and mean, people keep talking about asylum, but what, if, if you're being persecuted, like you're about to be killed in your country for your political beliefs, the first safe country you get to, that's where you apply for asylum. You can't forum shop, and that's what these people are doing. They're forum shop for benefits. So to me, it's pretty easy. They get to the U.S. and they say, I want asylum. You just say, no. Right. Apply to Mexico. Go away. If, if, that, if you could walk – if you could wait like a couple months and show up in the U.S. and then apply to asylum, obviously you're not being persecuted to the level that you should grant asylum to.
0: Right. Well, and, and so I'm glad you brought this up because there's a couple of things about asylum. First of all, war is not like – asylum is uh, like by law, asylum is pretty narrowly defined. You have to be like persecuted for your race or political viewpoints or uh, ethnicity or something like that. Um, just being in a war, a war-torn country, that doesn't count. And so, that, so that's one point. And, uh, and Honduras is not at war. Uh, and the, the second point is, like you said, you're required to apply to asylum if you want asylum in the first country that you set foot in outside of your country. That would have been Mexico for some of these people. Um, so, or, uh, you know, other countries for other ones, because I know they're coming from all over uh, Central America. So that doesn't make sense either. Like you're saying, you, like, there is no legitimate asylum claim in the U.S. for these people. So I don't, I don't
1: understand. To me, it doesn't seem like that big a deal when they get to the border. Like they don't—they call them an invasion, but those people don't have like borders with them and and machine guns right. and stuff. Like yeah. they, I don't see them like in a jeep with a fifty cal like coming up to the the border. So when right. they get to the border, there's a gate there, and the guy's got a he's got a nine you know nine millimeter handgun. He can just stop them. Say no, you can't come in. Right. Go go to the Mexican you know facility in this town where you apply for citizenship, then go back home and we'll send you paperwork if we want to let you in. Yeah. I don't know that's what the big deal is. They're, they're not going to fight their way through the border and I they don't, don't look that. like the kind of people that are going to trek a week or two through the desert to sneak in through the, you know, Western
0: Texas. Well, they can't now with all the media around them. I mean, you can't 7,000. 7, they, they
1: can't, can't hide can. in the shrubs when a helicopter <laughs> goes in.
0: Yeah. Right. That's not, that's not going to happen.
1: And the whole, th- you know, one of the things about asylum, I've never found anybody to answer this question, but I've asked a bunch of people, but you know, it says in the constitution, the federal government is supposed to establish a uniform rule of naturalization. doesn't say anything about asylum. So so mm. there's supposed to be one naturalization rule. People come in, you interview them, you, you know, check if they got some weird disease. Uh, right. You decide like, why do you want to come? Where are you from? Maybe you right. do a criminal background check on And then they apply for citizenship. You let them in as a resident and then they work and take care of themselves. And after a couple of years, you make them a citizen. Like there's there's nothing, there's nothing saying anything about asylum. I don't know where the asylum thing comes from. I haven't found anybody
0: that. It's probably some treaty that we've signed is my guess. Um, But I'm not totally clear. I think. Yeah, that's a
1: good thing. I have to read up on that. I'm not a big proponent of whatever's supposed to be, quote, international law. I don't actually know what that is.
0: Like, like well, who, it, it, who
1: did yeah. I authorize? Who did we as citizens delegate authority to internationally? Like, like, does that mean the UN has authority over the federal government? Right. I wouldn't right. mind yeah. if Trump just went up to New York and said, you people get the hell out of here. Just close yeah. down the UN, and send everybody home. That wouldn't bother I mean, me at all.
0: One of the things I liked about Trump's uh, presidency was his treatment of the UN, which I know pissed a lot of people off, but I, you know, I think he could have been even harsher, but I, I appreciate how harsh, uh, he's been. So
1: they're kind of crazy. And some of the stuff I heard Nikki Haley say when she was there, I like, think she's crazy too.
0: Yeah. she's Yeah. She's crazy. Also.
1: She's kind of crazy. And I used to, when she was governor of uh, one of the Carolinas, I forget which one but she's one? Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was one of yeah, it might've been North. It was North or South. Anyway. Um, I kind of liked her. I saw her on TV a bunch of times and, she yeah. seems sounding good, but when she got turned loose in the UN, I... oh, but one thing that happened yesterday, did you know Jeff Sessions is gone? I know yes. That's a, that's a, that's a thread, Jack, I know, but I
0: thought you'd no, appreciate actually, that. Right? Um, actually it's interesting. I, don't actually,
1: I don't know what you think of him. I'm just guessing you'd be happy. You're going to have a beer for that one.
0: That Sessions is gone?
1: Yeah. What do you think I don't of that?
0: Know. Obviously, I don't like Sessions at all. Um this other, what's the guy, the interim guy's name will, uh, I forget his name. Um, I, can I look don't it know. Up. I
1: was just so happy. I was like carrying on crying in happiness that sessions was gone. I didn't hear anything else. I don't know what his name yeah,
0: is. The interim. So obviously I've got, uh, you know, I've got my Matthew Whitaker is, his, is the interim attorney general's name. Who knows? I mean, I don't know who, who knows he, he's made statements in the past about indicting Hillary Clinton. So, uh, which, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of Hillary Clinton. And uh, I think she probably has done some illegal things, but I don't know that there's going to be ever justice for her. So I'm not holding my breath. But, uh, but yeah, she's, Sessions she's, is horrible. Um, I don't, but I don't think this Whitaker guy, obviously I'm opposed to the drug war, which is one of the reasons I hate Sessions. And um, I don't think Whitaker's any better. Uh, in fact, no. I think he made some statement about, uh, well, look at places where marijuana is illegally trafficked. There's a lot of crime. I'm like, yeah, because it's illegally trafficked. Like, you <laughs> could make cereal illegal, and there would be crime that sprung up around illegal trafficking of cereal. Like, that's, that's, that's what happens when you make something illegal. So, uh, yeah, I don't think he's better. And, and actually, the thing that, you know, since, we're, since we, we moved to the drug war. Uh, <laughs> well,
1: I didn't, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to no, do no, that. It's okay, that, but, was, uh, that wasn't on the topics list.
0: No, no, it's fine. I the one thing I'll say about it is, you know, we can worry about opioids. We can worry about all these other drugs. Uh, you know what? The worst drug is, and the most addictive drug is political power. Like physically, like physiologically, it, it's actually addictive, right? Um, and you know why? Are we, I'd rather have a war on political power. <laughs> like that it's sounds way good to deep, me. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's,
1: that's what I'm doing. That is what the Convention of States, not to go back to that again, No, okay. that is what that's about. It's that is back. what that's about. That's a war on political power. It's, it's a war on the federal usurpation of power that they were never delegated and, and trying to get back to the idea that the, the people delegated certain powers that they had, that the states had to the federal government, and the federal government on its own has decided to take way more. Yeah, that was never intended. The founders if they if rolling over in a grave was a real thing, they'd be rolling over in the grave.
0: <laughs> I I think so and and you know, we're we're kind of finishing out the end of this hour, but I I want to talk to you. I want to have you on again cuz I I we almost touched on something which is your views on the court and what the court has done and you mentioned earlier about term limits for the court. I'm actually not sure I agree with that, but I do think the court's a problem. Um I'm just worried so, that term will cause another problem. But are you familiar
1: with Ruth Bader Ginsburg?
0: Yeah, I am. I am.
1: All right. Well, that's all I'm going to say on that one. No,
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we can have a discussion about it. But but um, the point I do want to make here is, uh, look, the Constitution was intended to be read by average citizens, and we're supposed to be the police of the government, and uh, you know, you can't. The Supreme Court has not been policing the government, and that's very clear. And the Constitution's, you know, meant to, be, meant, meant to be clear and read and understood by average people. And, uh, you know, if, if people are going to say the 14th Amendment is clear and pundits on CNN can interpret it very clearly, then, uh, then you got to do that for the Second Amendment and, and everything else. And, uh, and it turns out most of the Constitution is pretty clear, and uh, average people could understand it. And it's our job to really police the government, and they've gone way way far out of control and uh yeah i'll leave it at that but uh some coalitions of of states is one way to do that convention of states sorry or or,
1: an article five i mean i usually just say the generic term is uh, convention to propose amendments that's what says in the constitution so yeah that's one project trying to rein it in so yeah that sounds like an interesting topic and i wasn't just to to We'll talk about it more later, but the, the term limits thing, I'm not a hundred percent on board, all different term limits. Like for example, senators are supposed to be chosen by state legislators. I yep. don't want the federal government to tell the state's rules on how they pick senators, right. but Supreme courts picked by the president. And I was against it at first, but then I kept listening to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And it's like, I changed, <laughs> made me change my mind on that one.
0: Well, the, the, the concern yeah. is, uh, yeah, well, we can have this. We'll have the discussion. We can later.
1: we can talk that later. Yeah. All yeah, I'll, say, yeah. I'll just close it out by saying that when they they didn't think of this because people only lived to be like fifty or sixty, and you had to be able to ride a horse to work.
0: Right. <laughs> that's a good point. You, you rode a horse to work. So
1: maybe that was you know if we went back to having that's what I was thinking. Let's make a rule that Supreme Court justices have to ride a horse to work. That <laughs> might solve it too.
0: I actually love that. You're reminding me of. Uh, I had a friend who. Uh, Remember how long ago he really believed that um, the government, the uh, the president, should be randomly selected from the phone book because that way no one would respect the president, and we wouldn't want to give him a lot of power because it could be any random person. And why would you want to give? (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: That's a that's a good idea. I might go for that. I mean, I've it doesn't sound unreasonable to say that anybody that wants that job is automatically disqualified.
0: No, absolutely. Yeah, I I agree with you on that as well. So, Keith, it's been great to talk to you. Can you just remind people how do you, how should people uh, follow what you're doing? What what are the best ways for people to follow you and, and pay attention to what you're doing?
1: Well, at the website uh, www.conventionofstates.com, all one word. There's a blog and uh, there's some information you can read up on what that project is. And if you agree, there's a petition you can sign that goes. To- to uh, your state legislator automatically based on your district um the other thing i do is the liberty solutions podcast which on stitcher just search for liberty solutions comes up awesome it's on it's on itunes also but uh their search doesn't work i don't know why
0: yeah i couldn't find it on itunes and, and it, it was annoying you can you can like manually enter rss feeds into itunes but uh maybe they just don't like the idea of liberty and solutions and so- <laughs>
1: That combination just throws them for the loop. Yeah, no, they don't. don't Like (laughs) Like Liberty's bad enough. And if you talk about solutions, yeah, that's, but that's what the, that's what my, the podcast is to, you know, we talk about problems and current events, but we always end with how to fix it. So it is pretty easy to just complain, but, uh, to think about what to do, um, is, is a harder task. So I try to spend some, at least some of my time, mostly I just moan and whine about it, but. I try to spend some of my time thinking (laughs) about what to actually do, too. And that's the point of the
0: podcast. All right. Well, cool. Thanks again, Keith. Uh, Everyone, uh, please go uh, listen to Keith and pay attention to what he's doing on Liberty Solutions podcast. Thank you for watching Unsafe Space. Uh, Again, next week, we will have Gracie West, former social justice warrior, on the deprogrammed show at this time slot uh, 11.00. AM on Thursday, 11 AM Pacific on Thursday. You can follow again, you can follow the show at unsafe show on Twitter, unsafe show.com, patreon.com slash unsafe space, or you can download the podcast. All of these videos are turned into podcasts, audio only, obviously. And you can search for unsafe space on your favorite podcast app. And hopefully search will work and you will be able to find us. So thanks again for uh, everyone. And we'll talk to you next time.